No. Do you know what's really annoying? What? Recording a podcast and then an hour later, Fernando Alonso announced to go to Aston Martin on a multi-year contract. Are you joking me? <sighs> Which means not only is the podcast episode not released, it's immediately out of date, but more importantly... And what now is the new opening to this podcast, which is this phone call, which I'm recording, FYI. Oscar Piastri is just going to be announced to Alpine. What are your whole thoughts? Oh, dude. Good. Good. Alonzo's a dickhead. (laughs) I love Alonzo, but seriously, that guy, he makes the worst decisions every time. Every move he makes. When he leaves, that team gets better. You know what's going to happen? Good riddance, mate. That's good for us and Australian fans. Oscar Piastri is walking into a seat that is almost 100% guaranteed by fate because of Fernando Alonso's leaving, (laughs) that they will be a world championship driving team in the next two or three years. You heard it here first. Well, welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drive. In this immediately out-of-date but pre-recorded Prior to this phone call episode, we're going to review with Campy in person, not just on a phone call, and Freya, the Hungarian Grand Prix. And I'm joined by my friends and yours in person, Thomas J. Camp. G'day, mate. How are you, Freya? How are you going? And sorry, mate. Thanks, mate. And Freya. <laughs> Hello, Freya. Hello. First day on the job, Campy. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um, Everyone, that's it. That's the Formula One season done. There is absolutely no point watching the rest of it. We've had a full season in this point anyway. Uh, 13 races. Yeah, I don't think there's any point watching it. Not with Ferrari strategy like that. Sebastian Vettel's retired. What's the point? What's the point anymore? Why go on? They are still not doing good things. The only point uh, is uh, really waiting to see where Oscar Piastri goes to. Uh, But anyway, let's talk a little bit about Seb Vettel first, guys. Uh, Freya, let's start with you. What's he going to be remembered for from your point? Not this year, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I think, look, I think when we, for us, when we think about Seb Vettel, it's not the most recent years. It's his his time with, with Red Bull and thereafter. Um, you know, he's proven himself to be a phenomenal racer. I think what has been most interesting with him in terms of reflecting on that is just how much our experience with him as a racer has changed you know there's very few of us sitting here now who I think if you'd asked us in you know kind of four years ago by the way you said that all fans in the future we'd say absolutely not (laughs) so I think he's um it's interesting to just see how much your your views and experiences of, of a driver can change over time um but I think what's really interesting with him and you can see the beginning of it with some other drivers who have been around for a while is that he's leaving a lot more with the sport which is you know his beliefs and values and things that he's um you know working really hard to achieve so it's not just the on-track stuff that he will um kind of leave a legacy with but um he's been an interesting cat to be watching that's for sure Seb Vettel was absolutely hated by everyone in Australia for so many years (laughs) Campy wasn't he (laughs) put in the bin for ages. Uh, well, I remember you've got a great story of a certain Grand Prix in a certain Australian hour qualifying. <laughs> it was 2014. Yeah. So it was the first year of the Turbo Hybrid. I think I've shared this story before. Yeah. First race, 2014. It's not like you to repeat it's yourself. Seb Vettel and Danny Rick, I think. Seb, in qualifying, Seb didn't make an out of didn't make it out of Q2, uh. and Danny Rick went to put it on the front row, I believe, in that race. But in the Q2 moment, 
the whole when he didn't make it through, <laughs> the whole crowd went up in this <laughs> unanimous cheer of like the big finger to Seb Vettel on the whole of Germany because of the tough times we put up with for four years of him and Mark Webber. And um the camera just panned to Christian Horner and even he had a big smile on his face and saw the irony in it. So um yeah, look, I was part of that crew. I I, I hated the whole of Germany for that four years just because <laughs> of the rival the rivalry that he had with uh, with Mark Webber. And um since then he's said for me has grown into a into someone a steward of our sport that has left the sport better um than what he came into it. Um his his reputation around all the teams um has grown. Yes, we used to talk about Seb with some childlike uh, I think to Baku when he ran into uh, Hamilton and after he got brake tested, just yes. those moments yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. of childlike brain fades. But um, I think in the last few years, become a real uh, stalwart of the sport. So yeah, and he does great things for it. I think I think he's driving this year. I don't. I think he's probably retiring because he knows he's not going to get into another top quality car. He probably doesn't want to pro- prolong his career a bit like a Kimi Raikkonen or a Fernando Alonso who are trying to get one more world championship. I think he sees the writing on the wall and he's mm. getting out early. Four championships, though, mate, is oh. huge. Like and a huge number. We forget about that, don't we? Just how many it is. We forget about how young that guy was when he yeah. burst onto the scene in two thousand and eight. Yep. Got his first win in two thousand. Uh, got his first win with Toro Rosso actually yep. in 08, Then went in 09, Went to the uh, the big Red Bull team with Mark Webber, and they both got some wins that year. And then twenty ten through to twenty thirteen was was he got lucky in my opinion in twenty ten. But after that, he had the confidence and. The way he drove some of those races from the front on the first lap. I mean, Mark Webber talks about how he made that double diffuser work and just absolutely get things out of the car that Mark could never do. Mm. It's a bit of weight distribution in there. He's always 12 kilos more. But in saying that, incredible driver at the had his time in Red Bull and um, he's probably still better than Max Verstappen in that Red Bull. I think as Verstappen's career goes on, I think he'll. I think Verstappen will surpass him, but yeah, mm. once in a generation driver, really, we don't see that a lot. So. No, you're right, and I mean, still the youngest ever world drivers champion. Yeah, in, you know, incredible as you say, incredible career. The fact that he joined in BMW Sauber, yep. went to Toro Rosso, took that win in uh, in epic style for them. Yep. We, you know, and this is a team that was flailing around down the back consistently. Only he and prior additionally other great Red Bull driver Pierre Gasly have managed to win in a Toro Rosso yep. <laughs> at the same event. Noted. Home race. <laughs> How good's Pierre Gasly? Uh, but it is. But for Seb Vettel though, I think, you know, what an absolute legend. Yeah, he, he had some cool moments and my favourite moment, Ferrari – I think it was 2019 Canadian Grand Prix and him moving the number yep. one and number yep. two boards um, yes. between his car and Lewis Hamilton's car. Yeah, that was going to be – I wasn't sure if you were going to ask me – I wasn't sure if you were going to ask me the question of like do I have a specific memory of him and that was actually going to be my answer. It's just he's got a sass that we see from so few drivers um, that I just have so much appreciation yeah. for. And um, I think what's really interesting in terms of just the timing of his retirement as well is that, you know, to Campy's point, you know, if he was still felt like he was in a position to be chasing something real, we might have seen him stick around for even another year. But I think it potentially says a lot about his his current environment as well in that it's not worth sticking around for. And when 
the yeah, the weight absolutely. of the other opportunities start to come up there, you go, no, nah, it's it's not worth it. Whereas even if you have someone like an Alonzo who might be thinking something similar, there's enough there for him to really hold on to and that he feels like it's worth fighting for. So I think that says a lot about his surroundings as well. Yeah, he backed himself when he went to Red uh, to when, he, when he went to Ferrari too. His idol, Michael Schumacher, he wanted to recreate that. Mm. Unfortunately, some of the drives he had in that Ferrari oh. were, I think he got 10 wins for them. Some of them were outstanding drives Stop. in a car that was never a world championship winning car. Uh, they, Ferrari sort of had it halfway to the season, halfway point. But then after that, they just dropped off and made some mistakes. And uh, But he had some phenomenal drives and on his legacy he's well cemented. For the future of this sport, and we'll see him around as a pundit, probably. Hope so. In many years to come, give him back. And uh, you know, for me, I started watching Formula One in that 2008, 2009, 2010 yep. era. Yep. So we've seen this guy grow up yes. from a from a young kid coming through, full of energy and attitude and everything that comes with it. To an elder statesman, it's been marvelous to watch. So, thank you, Seb Vettel. Yes, thank you, Seb. <laughs> elder statesman, I think he's like thirty-five, <laughs> yeah, thirty-six. You know, I I, no, that. but I think, but I still think that's the interesting conversation that we constantly have in Formula One is this age thing of he's too old, he's moving on. You know, Lewis Hamilton, as I heard probably seventeen thousand times, too many times over the course of the race weekend, how old exactly to the day Fernando Alonso was? Forty-one <laughs> and one day old, forty-one and two days old. Uh, but here he is, a guy who is 41 and three days old at this point when we're recording the podcast, uh, still smashing it. So age doesn't really come into it as we've seen with Kim Raikkonen as well. But certainly, as you've both said, his prospects uh, going forward in that Aston Martin team just, just aren't a thing. And I think he's now at a point where he's still young enough to have a great second career in television punditry. Uh, a pundit we'd actually listen to. Yep. He'd like to go to on Sky Sports uh, UK. That'd be great. He'll probably end up on Sky Sports Germany, which uh, which would be great. And I'm to be honest, we'd rather listen to him in German than listen to anyone else, including Johnny Herbert, yeah. in English. Uh, okay, let's go to. It's pretty good motivation to yeah, learn well, German. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Uh, let's go to a brand new segment here on the show. It's uh, CampyBot's Discord comment of the race, uh, and it happened. When one Daniel Ricardo went around the outside or the inside, I should say, of two Alpines, and Katie Seventeen says, "Well, she said I haven't cheered so hard since Monza," uh, and that's just facts. That's just hardcore, real-time facts um, from that. So that's our Discord comment of the week. If you're not yet part of our Discord community, what are you doing? Lift. You can find the the, in the link in the description below to join, uh, either if you're watching on YouTube or listening on your audio platform of choice. It is honestly a whole bunch of fun. Campy sometimes uh, comes across. And actually one point, sorry, I will say on the Seb Vettel thing, um, hasn't been on social media. Creates an Instagram account to announce his yeah. retirement. So everyone just be aware, if you ever see Campy created a social media account, you know he's retiring from the podcast, okay? <laughs> so that's, that's my combat indicator of that <laughs> happening. Uh, Frey, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the television side of things, shall we? How did you see it on your side of the world? I mean, if you are a Red Bull supporter, Ferrari supporter, Mercedes supporter, you would have had a great time this weekend. And if you go for anybody else, then best of luck. Um, I had a very frustrating experience when it came to watching um, this weekend. I mean, qualifying is qualifying for the most part. It's fine. There's not really that much they can do with it. Um, it's fine. But when it came to the race, it was just, you know, you'd see something happen on track and, oh, yep, no, no need to see that. That looks interesting enough. Let's quickly look somewhere else where nothing is happening. That it, 
Yeah. I feel like it hasn't actually been that bad for, for a little while. Like we've been for the most part, you know, pretty all right with the broadcast, but but this weekend it was really, really noticeable. Um, obviously the first time, I think the first time I noticed it was really with, with K-Mag and Ricardo um, and K-Mag quickly had to pit afterwards. Yeah. But, you know, there was a, there's, that was looking really fun and then we just went straight back to what was happening in kind of top three, which was nothing <laughs> at that point in time. And, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was really frustrating um, to, to watch. So, yeah, I'm afraid I'm a pretty harsh critic this weekend. Yeah, I think we all are. Um, you're right, though, in terms of it's been pretty okay to the point where Tommy T really hasn't had anything to talk about. So that's yeah. why that segment has died a little bit because <laughs> it's sort of like, well, we keep saying the same thing week in and week out. Shut up, Johnny Herbert. And that's pretty much it. Yep. Um, no one's really sort of made any massive errors in terms of TV director-wise. But you're right, this weekend was shocking to see how many cutaways. I was surprised we didn't go to a highlight of Lance Stroll in Monaco from last year. Underwhelming anthem. Jesus, a few interesting uh, costume choices holding the flag too. <laughs> yeah. Really? I didn't oh, even bother watching it. Well, anyway, moving on. Interesting out of 10 is oh, the choice. Whatever out of 10. Whatever out of 10. It's my favourite score from you ever. The chick was last week. Here we go. That oh, hang on. Sorry. This is our other new section. Yeah. <laughs> Campy's fashion advice specifically to do with people singing the national anthem. Yes, go on. Last week we had the woman in the green. This yes. week we had the lady in red, and it looked like it was going to fly off into oblivion. Put some clothes on, woman. It was freezing out there. So we've had red, green. What? What's your prediction for the net for the Belgian Grand Prix Belgium. in a couple of weeks' time? What colour are the performers going to be wearing? Oh, look, no idea. I just want to see a flyover. That'd be great. Okay, well, you're not going to get one. Um, let's let's do a little bit of housekeeping uh, before we go into talking about your bin, Campy. Um, have about a bit of a think of who is in your bin from this week. Uh, firstly, I want to say a massive thank you to you if you've reached out. Uh, from our shout out last week yep. about video editors. We've had a couple of you get in touch, which is awesome. Um, very excited to be working with Quinn in West Australia. Uh, we're going to put some some cool content together there uh, and hopefully in a couple of weeks you'll see that over on our YouTube channel. So please make sure you subscribed to our channel over there. As I mentioned, we're going on a break for a couple of weeks after this episode. Uh, we will be back, though, on the 23rd of August, which is a Tuesday morning here in Australia, uh, and that will be our regular time slot going forward. So Tuesday morning will be that. Uh, Freya's free, pri- free practice Friday. Oh, I knew I'd stuff it up at some point. Uh, we'll be on Fridays, and Campy's Corner will be on Sunday mornings. So It's going to be a strange podcast, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Prep your tinfoil beanies, ladies and gents. There is, uh, it's all, the only thing you need. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so that's what's going to be happening. So we are going for away for a couple of weeks and then we're going to be back with a hell of a lot of content. Um, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So thank you to, to you for continuing to listen and watch. Uh, and I will say we will have uh, a sponsor going forward as well to help us with those bits and pieces. Um, I'm looking forward, just personally looking forward to watching you engage with a live read for a sponsor. We've got about 60 right. seconds to do to do one. Um, right. I'm more than competent. It's going to be I'll fun. Get there. I'll it's going to be there. fun. We'll, we'll, make it, we'll try and make it as enjoyable as possible. Uh, anyway, that's that. Uh, Campy's bin. Yeah, Matteo Bonotto firmly <laughs> put himself in that bin this weekend. Super glued. Jeez, look. What a disaster. Why on earth would Leclerc go on to the hearts? Every every person that went on to the hearts, their race pace diminished massively. Mm. It was clearly cold. They clearly couldn't get the temperature in a warm-up. Ferrari probably thought they had a lot more downforce so they could get those tyres into the optimum operation window. But, geez, what an absolute shambles to see – 
to see Mercedes come through and dominate like they did, they beat a Red Bull and two Ferraris convincingly this weekend, and I think they had the race pace after the first five or six laps to, to solidify themselves as probably the number two car on track over a race distance, not so much one lap at the moment. But Matea Bonotto, you got to be you got to be getting this stuff right on the pit wall. This is going to cost you not only a world championship for one of your drivers, but a constructors, and you'll lose second place if Mercedes continue to go on the roll that they're on at the moment. Who would you like to take out of Campy's bin, Freya? <laughs> Who else is in it? I mean, I'm I'm I completely agree with um with Bonotto, and the I thing mean, which frustrated me, uh, probably the other thing um which frustrated me as well is that he doesn't just go and own <laughs> it afterwards. Like he doesn't say, "Yep, we stuffed that up." Like no. his his interview after that, he kind of said, "Oh, you know, the tires didn't evolve in the way that we thought they were, but that's because the car wasn't behaving. We thought that that was going to." I was like, "But." When you look at Leclerc's pace before he pitted, it was absolutely there. He was absolutely taking it to max. And you just go, like, I just don't buy it. So I think it's it's one thing to be able to turn around and have some, you know, give some grace when you've made decisions like that that just weren't right, but he doesn't. And that's what's actually kind of frustrating to watch. Now I know he needs to kind of, you know, hold face a bit, which I, like, I understand, but at the same time you do see others taking significantly more ownership for those decisions along the way. So... I think my bin is prettier than yours, but he's in there too. <laughs> okay. I'm taking Gasly out of your bin, Campy. Um, oh, I know I was never in your oh. bin, Fryer, at all because he started at the very back of the grid. In, in fact, he started in the, in the pit, pit lane, lane and finished 12th. Yeah. Wicked. Look, I'm just, I'm just saying it's pretty good. Anyway, let's talk about qualifying. Um, Nicholas Gotifi. In the work. Fastest, fastest <laughs> in FP3. Stop the count. That's it. That's the Grand Prix right there. All let's go away. It would have been certainly been a lot more interesting than Max Verstappen winning the 2022 World Drivers' Championship. Um, but fastest in FP3. Yep. And then in Q1, blitzes purple sector one, yep. green sector two, stuffs it into the last corner, <laughs> qualifies 20th. I mean, find me a more Nicholas Latifi, Gotifi thing than, than that. That was yeah. outstanding, I thought. Uh, what are your other takeaways from qualifying, Campy? Oh, just on that, I think it's clear the Williams can warm up any tyre in any condition probably better than any other team on the group at the moment, hence why we saw the result. Who was it? I think Leclerc, was it Leclerc over the radio said, geez, a 141. He said, oh, f- on Inters, that's godlike or something. So, <laughs> good. Anyway, good on Latifi. Uh, he actually had a pretty good weekend compared to his teammate this weekend. I thought he got the better of him. Not that I saw any of it on track. I'd like to, you know, see a bit more <laughs> of the back markers and even 7, 8, 9, 10. But, hey, that's just the world we live in in motorsport at the moment. Uh, qualifying was good. I was a bit disappointed in uh, – in McLaren's pace, particularly in Danny Rick's car. You can't be disappointed in Lando Norris. He can't fall. Yeah, no, he's good. He got it together. Danny Rick was on used tyres in Q3, though. He had none because he had to do the two runs in uh, Q3 and Q2. So. Yeah. Anyway, they didn't have a fresh set for Q3, which is a str- which is a shame, but his best time, which was in Q2, would, wouldn't have put him any higher up the grid. So, um, really interesting, really interesting. I think Ferrari's clearly the best car over one lap. But interesting that Red Bull had some issues in qualifying, but it just didn't seem to affect them in the race. So yeah, look, I think McLaren uh, have are getting there. 
they're getting better. Daniel's not getting there with this car, but it, very we'll clearly Lando. We'll very clearly Lando was race last night. Yeah, we will. But I mean, Lando did have the pace. He, he qualified in fourth, um, and Dr. Qualifying in ninth, which you know is probably where he should be qualifying anyway in that car. In you know, thinking about Alpine being a faster car, that I, makes sense. I just look at the gains as I look at the gains that Mercedes as an organisation have made over the last 12, 13 races. Yep. I mean, McLaren started very poorly in the first two and seemed to get it together. And at times, well, they were the better Mercedes engine powered car, but they have, like, their, their development department has gone, not, done nothing compared to what the Mercedes Works team's done. It's a shame. Yep, completely agree. Uh, Freya, there's a new white Ferrari on the grid in the yeah. version of Haas, too. Yeah, and why would you copy anyone else? To uh, Gunter's, um, you know, statement afterwards, he was like, well, "I mean, yeah, if someone else is faster than you, then why wouldn't you copy them?" And to be clear, we're not copying a Williams. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, when we talk about team principles being honest, <laughs> um, he, you can't fault him there. And you know, it was almost a shame that those guys didn't didn't perform better because I, I kind of, again, I just love his transparency. But um, I think the other thing which is interesting with qualifying was um, Perez just doesn't seem to have any luck with the timing of assessment for his lap times or um, uh, more of the point track limits in that he got his lap time deleted and then reinstated, which was reinstated. maybe better than having it deleted after that qualifying session had already finished, which happened last time. So um, I was glad they kind of assessed that pretty quickly. But, it's yeah, that, that was frustrating. I mean, for the most part, things for qualifying were all right, but that type of thing irritates me because it's just disruption where it doesn't need to be. Um, but yeah, I know, like you said, McLaren looked like they were making gains, but Ricardo was, you know, he was faster in Q1 and Q2 than he was in Q3, which was frustrating to watch that kind of just decline over time. And of course, George Russell takes his maiden pole, which, uh, again, geez, I wish I had Sky Germany. Um, but look, I get it. A British bias from a British broadcaster makes sense. But it's just the feed for everyone else. It's just Foxtel and KO here and ESPN in the US being lazy and not putting their own people on the ground. Um, And we have to deal with it. I could not care about this Mr. Saturday stuff any less. Great lap from him. He didn't go purple anywhere. He was just fast around the whole thing. That is so impressive. Normally for... For that last couple of laps, Campy, in Q3, the guy who manages to do a purple sector somewhere is generally the one who gets it across the line yeah. in first. Yeah. And he looked at Sainz's lap and he went, wow, fantastic. Yeah. No one's going to better that. Yeah. Okay, George is coming over the line and he's got two greens. Oh, well, he's just not – there's absolutely no – well, hang on a second. He's got first. Yeah. I, look, I sort of look at his – it was a great lap and all credit to him for getting it done. My, my issue is, is why is it that we get to the last lap of qualifying, and the and he goes five tenths quicker than what his previous tenth, what his previous best was. Is that these guys are using engine modes and they got things in the car that they can do to get better for that final final lap? Track evolution was not there particularly in Q three because it was getting wetter. Where does this five tenths come from, and why aren't they consistently doing that five tenths quicker? I mean, you look at the greats; they're lap after lap at the best they can get within one and two tenths of it every single time on the money. To find five tenths is daylights, is is days in motorsport. I just don't understand why you do it 
in the final lap and not consistently do it throughout qualifying beforehand because he came out of nowhere. Is that a reflection on him or is it engine modes in the car? But then you've got – can't use engine modes. But then you've got Hamilton back in seventh. So if it was something like that, then why wasn't he doing, you know, the same thing? Yeah, it doesn't, you know, kind of add up. He had an issue on his final lap. He so. did and he didn't have DRS as well, I think, from memory as well on qualifying. So, you know, we know yeah, that, that that's going to cause issue, problems. So. But at the same time, I, yeah, I don't know. I just wonder if he's had he just takes that long but, to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, but Lewis Lewis and George were within a tenth and a half of each other, two tenths at every lap during qualifying, except for the last one. So where does that five and a half that, that's is the track evolution though? It might be right at the very not, end the last it's lap not of the day. Traffic evolution in Q three. It, it doesn't it doesn't evolve that much. Might have and if it. you look at the difference in times in Q1 and Q2, it's like, well, hang on, this has to come from somewhere. Where's his performance coming from? Yeah, but it, but to be fair, though, it may have been a gust of wind in a slightly different direction around Hungara Ring because it yep. can be very affected in that area yep. um, that makes that difference. Because as you said, Freya, I mean, there's obviously Hamilton had a, had a, an issue with his DRS, but... You know, first to seventh. Not that it mattered anyway, because totally. we got a twenty twenty one podium at the result anyway. But uh, here, here is how it played out for qualifying: George Russell first, then was Carlos Sainz, Leclerc, Norris, Ocon, and Alonso fifth and sixth. Alpine had a pretty good showing when it came to um, qualifying. Hamilton in seventh, with uh, Valtteri Bottas behind him in eighth. Which meant everyone behind Bottas was like, sick, well, we're going to finish on the podium because if anything's like last year, yeah. then VB is going to go play uh, bowling again. Uh, it was Danny Rick, Verstappen, Perez, 10th and 11th for Red Bull. Yeah. What? Um, Joe, 12th, Magnussen, 13th, uh, Stroll, Schumacher, Sonoda, Albon, Seb Vettel in 18th after having an issue in FP3 and punting it into a wall um, and then trying to repair the car. Good guy, Seb, again, trying to get mucked in and help the help the team sort it out. He could only manage 18th. Pierre Gasly, 19th, and Nick Latifi, as I said, up at the top there in 20th. 20th. <laughs> uh, let's go through a team by team. We'll start right down the very back, Freya. Let's talk about Williams. Uh, Albon finishing in 17th and Nick Latifi finishing in 18th. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think both Williams' cars got damaged on the first lap, so it wasn't going to be an easy race for them from the get-go. Um, but then they also both managed to avoid hard tyres, I think, as well, which was a good decision. Probably still got them the best result which they could, which was not very high up, I think 17th and 18th. But, you know, Latifi was kind of complaining of balance issues throughout and, again, with that early damage, it kind of looked like he was just struggling a lot and then went pretty aggressive with um, with his stops um, but just didn't seem to get, get his tyres um, to be able to kind of switch on and, yeah, like it was kind of disappointing for those two because I think, you know, free practice, um, as you mentioned, <laughs> it looked like they might be a bit stronger in the race, but then, you know, it didn't really kind of eventuate in qualifying or in the race either. So I think as much as I would love to say it's a weekend to forget, there's actually a lot to learn from from that weekend with them as well. Um, so, yeah, it's it's disappointing because they'd obviously, they've had some success this, this season, which has been great for us to watch, just seeing things, you know, kind of shuffled up a little bit in terms of the the grid that we expect to see, but not a great showing from them this weekend overall. Albon's front wing went explodo Patronum. <laughs> there you go. That's a Harry Potter reference for you, Campy. Did you get that? Nope. Nope. Um, in the first couple laps, as you said, uh, so they had to clear debris off the track, a proper explode, like proper boof, yeah. which yeah. we haven't seen a lot of this year in terms of Formula One car parts being strewn all over the track. Um, and, yeah, Latifi struggling. I – Finally listened, I don't listen to a lot of F1 podcasts anymore, but I finally listened to the Beyond the Grid episode with Alex Albon from a couple of months ago and uh, that was after the Australian Grand Prix. 
he he is doing some good stuff in that team, I think. Um, and we spoke a little bit about where potentially the team is going to next year. Now, by all accounts, now that there is actually an open seat on the market, maybe Oscar goes there. We'll talk about that when we get to Aston Martin. But we still haven't heard anything about Nick Latifi going anywhere. So by all accounts, Latifi is still with Williams for next year, although it hasn't been announced yet. We are now at the start of driver silly season time. But if he's going to put performances in, if he actually nailed that last corner, I think, in, in Q1, then that would have been outstanding to see. As you said, the, the fact that they're warming up the tyres, incredible. Yeah, Like one of the only cars on the grid to be able to do that at the moment, Camp, as you say. So we still, and I asked you this question last week, in the trajectory for Williams v McLaren at the same period of time when they're right at the very back of the grid, you know, the Alonso... Um, era for McLaren yep. with Stoffel Van Dorn to now where we are, probably from last year with when uh, Jos Capito took over. I still think there's glimpses of the team being able to move forward. They're still at the very back, unfortunately. This is where we start. We're talking to them very back at the, the podcast yeah. at the moment. But there's still that ability to, to move forward. So just for our listeners, I think it'd be interesting, keep in the back of your mind over the next couple of weeks, as the driver market plays out, does is it better for someone like Oscar Piastri to go to a back-of-the-grid team where there is zero pressure and you help develop a car? Or is it better to go to the campus, which is at the very back of the grid, but actually a lot of pressure to perform in a car that doesn't perform? Uh, look, I think Alpine should get rid of one of their drivers. Who should they get rid of, Campy? Ocon. Good. Good. That's that's. <laughs> they should be put like... Otmar? Call him. <laughs> You've got his number. You can't have your cake and eat it too. I don't know why Williams is seen as such a destination for new drivers coming in. If I'm a new driver and George Russell, he spent three years there driving the wheels off that car and got some good results and glimpses of what he could do at times in qualifying. I think a Spa last year and stuff like mm. that. Awesome. You know, where they got it right. So... I, if I'm Oscar, I don't want to go there. I want to. I want to at least go to the works team straight away because that's who he's contracted to. But I don't think I don't think Alpine are ballsy enough to make that call. So, as for Seb stepping away, opens up the door for somebody else. Aston may take Latifi's money and go. Hey, that's good for us. Mm. Um, or Hulk him back three point oh. <laughs> that ain't happening. Hulk wouldn't want to go back. No, nah, why, why would you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, right. he's got a good relationship with Otmar. Yeah. Oh, sorry, but he's gone but now. He's gone. So, well, Mike Crack. Tell me, tell me, you'd want to drive for Lawrence Stroll? He's not a dude that instills confidence, <laughs> is it? He's not like a likable guy. Like you bump into one of us around the street, you genuinely come away and go, "Geez, they're pretty good to hang out with. They're cool people." Lawrence, <laughs> mate, he doesn't have that vibe. <laughs> do people bump into you on the street? Do you walk along the street? I just I straight forward. Don't look I at straight <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, but like he's not a not. He doesn't seem like a nice guy. He's ruthless, and it comes across. There seems to be an interesting culture at Aston Martin. We've had that conversation before, and, and yep. Freo. I think when we were debriefing the British Grand Prix with Saxby, we were sort of talking about that as well. But there are, and as Richard said, there are good people within that organisation. Yes. It's just trying to figure it out and get the right place, right people at the right time to, to move it forward. Uh, let's talk, Freya, about Haas. Uh, Mick Schumacher finishing in 14th and K-Mag finishing in 16th. Uh, K-Mag got a black and orange very early on for his front wing end plate uh, hanging off the car, which pretty much was him done and dusted too. And he got sent on the hards and then didn't perform on the hards and everyone else went, I know what we'll do. We'll put him on the hards. Oh, goodness <laughs> sake. 
Yeah, it was. He seems pretty much in protest of that um, black and orange flag. Like he didn't th- seem to think that the damage was that bad or that it was really justified being called in. Um, and then on top of that, you kind of go, you know, would they have switched um, to to those tyres at that point in time? Don't know. But like you said, he really, really struggled after that, you know, finishing in 16th. Um, and then Schumacher, we didn't really see much of him during the race. Like he seemed to have a kind of reasonable enough start but then just couldn't hold on to it. Um, so it was a bit of a nothing race for them. Um, but, yeah, like you said, that, that hard tyre, first to try it out, should have been the last. Unfortunately, weren't. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But it, the upgrades that they brought kind of didn't really show much, did they? When they first sent them out, Mick had the old package and, and K-Mac had the new package and there was like only a couple of tenths difference yeah. between them. Upgrades are great until you have them on the car for three, four races and you fully understand how they work and yeah. how they integrate into what you have in your car design and philosophies anyway. So I wouldn't read too much into that. I think Magnuson had a good start. Yeah. Put himself up in a tent in points. Um, I didn't like the flag. I just thought that was – I mean, I could see we're too safety conscious. That's like broken wing, who cares? Just we're still holding on. Yeah, we got halos to protect them, so they got helmets. Good on them. Well, <laughs> I understand. I understand yeah. the point because Albon's front end plate had similarly just exploded all yeah. over the place. Only really the two laps before that, so that's fine. But yeah, it was a pretty quick black and orange flag. Yeah, yeah. for them, yeah. Um, they probably should have just gone onto the softs and tried to make it. You know, anyway, whatever it, it is, what it is. Unfortunately, isn't it for the Haas team? Uh, but you know. Favorite looking upgrade, those baby bell side pods, whatever you want to call them, look bloody delightful. <laughs> they look great on the Ferrari, have done all year. So I'm all for more of that kind of look on the grid. We didn't talk about the Aston Martin new wing they bought this year. I haven't talked about Aston Martin yet. That's oh, why. All oh, right. They're further ahead <laughs> in the grid, oh, mate. We did too. All right. Seb got points. Just settle down, mate. If only you had a run sheet in front of you. Uh, we're going to talk about Afro Mayo next. Valtteri Bottas had a big DNF, Campy, yep. and Joe Grand New in 13th. Uh, talking about rear wings, Tommy T will hate this, but I really enjoyed the Italian flag on the very back of the Alfa Romeo. I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Anything love, else to add? I love the Italian flag. It's great. No, it is good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is good. I hate. No, it looks great on that red and white livery. That is one of my favourite liveries. Yeah. And to see it in person, whoa, yep. particularly Melbourne this year, just mm. – just, or look to cut above the rest, in my opinion, unlike the Alpine. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's because it looked like a reverse pink uh, ice sh- cream. Shame for Bottas. Um, he's consistently puts himself in the right spots. Yeah, and it's either the car that's letting him go, or strategy, or things in the team. He's clearly the better driver than Joe. Although Joe's had some good performances this week, I think Joe was very below par compared to where mm. Bottas was. But unfortunate for Bottas to fail within, I mean, but that's typical of a Ferrari engine. Fail <laughs> in the last 10 laps, give up too easy. So, um, anyway. Yeah, what did you think, Freya? It's a shame, obviously, for VB. Uh, Tiffany Cromwell participating in uh, Tour de France at the moment as well. Uh, her team is absolutely killing it over there. Um, but, yeah, for, for Bottas, mm. Third retirement of the season. It's got to be so frustrating with reliability issues like that. Things that are just so far out of your control. Um, like I think it's really interesting when you can see that drivers are uncomfortable with their car, or they can tell something's up, and there's little things that they can either tweak or adjustments that they can make that then you know kind of resolve the issue or make it a better experience for them at the very least. With stuff like that, it's just gone. You're out. It's and nothing you can do about it. Obviously, it's just so must be so so frustrating. But they. 
also kind of backed themselves into a one-stop corner with this race. So I think there's a bit for them to work on from a strategy perspective. They had kind of hints of pace over the weekend but it didn't really kind of result in anything Um, and they both had pretty miserable starts and dropped back a few places so they weren't really in a great position to start off with to actually do anything with it and potentially would have stayed out of trouble if they had got better starts but um yeah no not, not a great result despite the um the car livery yeah I don't know how I feel about it not sure I agree <laughs> but I haven't it's all right so it's all right to be correct <laughs> uh, Alpha Tauri a uh, new power unit for Pierre Gasly Campy uh yep. but he's still got P12 what an outstanding driver uh, Pierre Gasly is right. amazing <laughs> goodness isn't he the best he's uh, the goat uh Sonoda 19th yeah. terrible yeah Alpha Tauri is terrible had a spin. what's happened this year had a spin, or Max had a spin too. Yeah, but at least he's kept <laughs> kept it. Sorry, Max Verstappen spins, always ending up in the right direction oh, again. Every no, single no, time. No. It's either Toro Rosso epic drift in Brazil oh, that was where he manages huge. to put it there and everyone's oh, like, oh, my God, there he comes. Um, sorry, Rebel. Or he, Germany, when we were at, uh, well, what was the super wet race where Bloody Hulkenberg could have won and he didn't end up winning because he put it into the gravel like everyone else went onto the ice section. Where was that? That was Germany. Yeah, whatever the German track is. I can't remember. It's terrible. I talk about Formula 1 all Hockenheim. the time. Dude, Hockenheim ring. There you go. Thank you. I was, was going to say, it's another ring from somewhere. We got Hungara ring this weekend. Um, he always, he spins. Oh, I've won. Oh, how did he do that? Oh, Leclerc, Leclerc did it in P3 too in the wet. Yep. Coming out of one, two, into three. Yeah, but not in a race. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's exclusively a Max Verstappen. I can do a spin and still win a race. Yeah, I, I, package. It, I, I'd be worried if I was Alpha Terry this year. They have not gone on with the engine that they were supplied with last year. It's clear. I don't. I, I don't. Is think it the same a, power unit, but just the arrows not doing the, the same car thing? And the designs taking a big step back. Mm. Last year, I wasn't thrilled with their race pace, but their race pace was good enough on most tracks when they qualified well and they had a good car over one lap. Hence why Gasly got some of the results that he did last year and Yuki got some good results this year. Outstanding driver. This year, I think Yuki has got better results than Gasly over the whole season, but he's still not the number one driver in that team. He's not as consistent, but he seems to have this extra gear that he can get to, which is starting to come to fruition once in every four races we mm. see it. It's like, oh, I think Yuki was better than uh, – I think he's better. That's just my opinion. Extra gear like incredibly fashionable jackets. No, well, he just has like this extra pace that he can generate out of a car that, you know, can can beat Gasly by the three and a half tenths once in every four or five races. And it's happened three times this year. So, it has, yeah. Which, is, which I like, whereas Gasly doesn't seem to have that – extra pace that Yuki shows on occasion. How good is Pierre Gasly, <laughs> Better than Campy thinks, that's for sure. I don't know. I just kind of wonder if um, – <laughs> I just kind of wonder if, like, Pierre was so comfortable, obviously, in last year's car. And we we said last year, every single time, like, he is outperforming this car, you know, weekend on weekend. And when he didn't, it usually wasn't – actually usually wasn't his fault. Oh, and this year, it's been a massive shift, and I just kind of wonder if you, if we're kind of seeing something similar to what we're seeing in other teams, where you have someone who was just very comfortable in how things were, and now perhaps hasn't adapted as well. Um, and Yuki Spinoda this weekend though has, so um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting. He Yuki was struggling for mm. grip a lot of this weekend, um, and I think he would have been pretty frustrated. But I think overall, you kind of go, you know. 
this was a team that at least one of them last year, we were constantly saying, how's that six position kind of warming up for you? Like they're just, he's so comfortable there. And now we're kind of saying, are you back yeah. in the points yet? Like it's just not, they're, they're not going to be satisfied with how they're going. And he signed a contract for next year too for, for Gasly. Um, not that there's really anywhere else for him to go. But yeah, well, where does yeah. he go? Well, that's, that's it. Well, I think, look, between next he'll year. He'll have a career like Perez. This time next year. No, he won't because he's not going back to that Red Bull. That, this time next no, year. No, where he may get a I shot understand. at the top team after 10 years of driving. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think this time next year, when we're looking at the 2024 season and a lot of these contracts are up, these existing contracts are yep. up, it'll be interesting to see where where people think people should be going firstly and who, from a young driver point of view, that includes Oscar as well, but you look at people like Logan Sargent, um, even Nick DeVries. DeVries has come into the conversation about Aston Martin um, and let's talk about Aston Martin now because, yes, this empty seat, left by Sebastian Vettel, this is a Mercedes power unit team. Nick DeVries is a Mercedes driver. He got into that Mercedes, uh, into Lewis's Mercedes in FP1 uh, the weekend before, and he did a pretty good job. I mean, he is the Formula E world champion, and you can think about whatever you want in that respect. Okay, it's absolutely not as quick as Formula 1, but he was good in F2, Campy. And we know what Toto Wolf can do, re-Esteban Ocon, re-George Russell, look at them where they are, even still VB in the same kind of way. to Pascal Verlon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Um, It's okay. Well, three out of four ain't bad. Uh, There's a song in that. But I think it's it's interesting to note because if Toto has incentive to put him somewhere, then he will. And again, Aston Martin are going to be wanting to shore up their supply and get as kind of a discount, I suppose, as much as possible, all that kind of other stuff. Yep. He is a legit option for that seat. And his relationship with Toto is they are chummy and they are very good friends. Yes. And, uh, I mean, Toto's got some ownership in Aston Martin too as part of that conglomerate mm-hmm. that owns it. Exactly so, right. Um, yeah, I think a Mercedes driver will end up in there, but I, I just, yeah, I've got, a, I've got an issue with, some of these F2 drivers at the moment. Mm. I mean, we've seen Mick, Schack, Mick Schumacher did everything he could have in the junior. <laughs> he did everything in the junior categories to deserve his role in yes. F1. Yep. Oscar Piastri done everything and more and probably better, just as good as anyone that's come through in the last 10 years. Sure. I just don't think these guys in F2, I mean, you look at Liam Lawson's and stuff like that, they've had three or four years in F2 and they've never gone on to win a championship. Now, there's reasons for that and you've got to put it all together, but I just, I just don't think they're there. If it was me, I would maybe be looking at someone outside of the square, someone who's raced in the category before that's looking for another shot. What's that American guy who's racing in NASCAR at the moment who raced for Haas when they first came? Rossi? In? Yeah. Maybe, Alexander Rossi. Maybe look at someone like that because that guy's – that guy, not so much this year, but he was incredible. I just think, think <clears throat> out of the box. What about Marcus Ericsson? One Indy 500 this year. He did. Can drive. Takuma Sato, that'd be good to see him back oh, on the grid. Can you imagine? Um, oh, look, I, just, I, I don't want to pick up a kid for the sake of picking up a kid who thinks they think he's deserved it. I, I'd like to see something out of the box on this one and try and find someone. Okay, Takuma Sato, sold. <laughs> yeah. I agree completely. Uh, but, yeah, Aston Martin's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, Freya, I found it very interesting when um, the F1 media did a little whip around to all the drivers to basically say, how do you feel about it? And Lance is like, I'm not going to miss his 
Um, long briefing sessions. Okay, cool. Just, Anything nice yeah. to say, buddy? Or yeah. No, that's it? Okay, cool. Thanks very much for coming. Um, very, very bizarre. It, you really have to want to be in Formula One, I think, to sit in that seat because you know it's not necessarily the best seat in the house and you're going to have some interesting conversations. Uh, they've got an Australian Connection family now, the Stroll family. Yes, they do. Which someone alluded to on uh, the Discord. Mm-hmm. So do we treat them like we do VB no. now or? No. Uh, moving, moving swiftly <laughs> well, along. It's still Canadians. Still, well, because I'm sorry, but Scotty Jays is part of the Red Bull family. So if anything, we treat oh, all the Red Bull life. That's, that's too long a bow. It's like fiancé of the sister of the driver yeah. who is only a driver because he's a son. So no. I don't even know. No, apparently she's a singer. I was like, she's probably not. It's Lance's sister. Anyway. I don't know, no. Yeah, well. Anyway, anyway. good for Scotty James. Uh, yeah, great for him. But Freya, like yeah, being for, Olympian for Aston Martin, you kind of bought a new rear anyway. wing for, for this weekend. Uh, sorry, James, I couldn't hear that question. Unbelievable. Just, Can we just all get it no. together? Aston Martin, new rear wings. Very serious business here on Lakeside Drive Podcast. <laughs> Big interpretation for this new rear wing too. Yeah. Not like, it's like what we saw last year. I don't, I'm not across the technicalities of it, but apparently there is a defined angle that you have to have on the wing, but it doesn't say where that angle has to be. So ah. Aston Martin have put that angle on the edge of the wing and it looks very very much like something from a Red Bull last year. So there's been no protests and the FIA have seemed to sign off on it. So we could see some big moves in the rear wing department in the second half of the year. Thank you for someone who knows nothing about it technically. You've done a great job explaining it, to be honest. <laughs> Good on Aston Martin's engineers for working hard and finding that out. Yeah. Can't say the same for McLaren. Uh, yes. Anything <laughs> just anything to add about Aston Martin, Freya? <laughs> I think what was funny was someone's observation with Stroll this weekend that he just kind of pops up out of nowhere. And he's just like, as though he's just kind of like lurking around, um, kind of ready to... <laughs> Be yeah. where be there when the opportunity yes. presents. But the, I just kind of wonder if that is a bit like Tommy too. <laughs> I wonder if um that says as much about him or if it's more about the broadcast where you go, we just don't see what's going on towards the back of the yes. pack, and then all of a sudden they're in front of you. And it happened with um yep. Checo at Silverstone as well, where he was making his way through the field. We weren't seeing any of it, and then he kind of popped up and was like. Hola. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that was kind of the same with, with Stroll this weekend, except that he was next to Ricardo when he did that. So um, anyway, it's they need to be in the points consistently with a brand like that. And I think next year in terms of driver market, they need someone with some experience who can help with development that they need. I think putting a rookie in there would be a mistake. I think they don't have the kind of establishment that they need in order to be able to bring someone young along like that Um, and they would be in a much better position to bring somebody in who's been in the category before and can add more than just potential because anyone new is an unknown um, and you don't get anything in terms of potential ability to develop the car. So, yeah, I, I think it would be a mistake to put a, a newbie yep. in there. As <laughs> yeah. And Stroll is not a number one lead driver in a Grand no. Prix team. <clears throat> no, he absolutely. should be after seven seasons or whatever he's had. No, Brad is the not. number one mechanic though for, for on the pit wall. How good's Brad? Uh, let's move swiftly along to Alpine. Fernando Alonso in eighth, uh, Espen Ocon in ninth. This is the first time we've heard Alonso be pissed off properly, pissed Fair off. Fair enough, with too. 
Ocon in front of him. Um, yeah, yeah, that was – yeah, I mean, Fernando was faster. Well, Alpine's got some real decisions to make at the moment. I don't think they would have scored any more points if they'd let Fernando in front of Ocon. But Fernando is clearly the faster driver. Maybe not in qualifying, but over a race distance, it's a bit like – it's not as big as the gap from Danny Rick to Ocon, but um, Fernando has clearly got a better race pace and better – drives that car way better than what Ocon does over a race. Unfortunately, on a track like this where it's tough to pass and you've got a Frenchman in front of you that ain't willing to play by the rules, standard, it's, it, I think the team suffers. But then Ocon, as a racer, I can understand his mentality. He's like, I'm not letting this guy pass. I'm in front of him for a reason. So how do I – He ne- and Ocon knows he's on the back foot, probably mentally, and at every stage he gets the chance to prove that he's in front of – he's going to put his elbows up and go, well, I can't be that bad because I'm matching it with a two-time world champion and, you know, arguably one of the greatest genera- drivers of our generation. So – yeah, look, they should just get rid of Ocon because he's not a team player and he's not doing the right thing. But then again, Alpine should be giving some team orders and going, all right, let him go. Yeah, and I think that's... We've seen it consistently enough over the last three races now that, you know, anyway. That's even the thing that Aston Martin did, Freya. They actually switched the two drivers around, which is why Seb finished ahead of Lance. Uh, so if Aston Martin can do it, surely Alpine can do it. Well, I think it's like we have this conversation all the time, you know, whether it's the Alpines, um, Aston Martins, the McLarens, even the Ferraris at times in terms of going what is the right call in some of these situations in terms of going do you just let them race? Do you look at your data and say, you know, it looks like driver A has more potential here, let's get him in clear air, put them ahead and make a team orders call? Um, you know, do you just tell someone to hold position? Like, we have this conversation all the time and I think so much of it has to do with more than just, you know, data as much as what is somebody's racing potential. And I think what's interesting with that is that when you get Alonso in the mix with somebody, he's so much more likely to do something with it than Ocon is. And so in moments like that, yeah, I kind of go, I, I want them to put o- Alonso in front because he is more likely to do something with that opportunity because of his race craft in comparison to someone in comparison to, to Ocon, whereas I don't think that's necessarily always as as easy and a call um, in comparison to that kind of situation. But, yeah, they had they kind of had a funny weekend. Like they really want to try and make that one-stop work, but they just, again, they also struggled with the hards as well um, and they kind of prioritised to set up for, for quali, which I think really impacted their race um, today. But so, yeah, if they, you know, if they hadn't um, had to go with the hard twi- hard tyres, then, you know, you could even have seen Alonso up there with, with Norris. But as it was, he didn't even come close. So I think they'll have a lot to look back on this weekend, including Ricardo managing to get both of them at once. <laughs> yeah, well, McLaren uh, had an okay showing uh, Lando in seventh. Yeah. DR in 15, 13th, I think, and then five-second penalty because of the contact with Stroll, which was absolutely fair enough from a from a penalty really? point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Really? But you know who's to blame? McLaren for not having the right yep. allocation of tyres. Why do you bring only one set of mediums and then go use through all your softs? Of course he's going to understeer on ice-cold tyres into the guy. I, and I mean, it was Danny Rick's fault because of the tyre choice, and that's because McLaren didn't bring... More medium mediums to the Grand Prix weekend. Uh, I think. I think. I th- look. I'm biased here, but so am I. But it's still McLaren's fault. Stroll 
came into that so late. I don't think Danny Rick was expecting. Did you say? Would you say that he turned in on Danny Rick? He didn't turn in on Danny Rick. He just arrived a hell of a lot later than what we thought. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it was almost torpedo like up the outside. But Danny uh, give you that. I mean, that that happens. Look, Danny Rick. Jeez, his race was ruined. On at the exit of turn one on lap yep. one. Yep. He um he started in ninth. He actually made up two positions off the start. I don't think for me he was aggressive enough into no. the turn one breaking and Perez went round the outside. Yep. So he lost a spot there. On the exit, he got held up by Alonso, who had an issue on the exit, and uh he got tapped, which at that stage, he was in front of you, Max Verstappen's and all the people behind him, but he had to get off the gas going down into turn two, which ultimately meant he was so compromised on his exit because he had to get off the gas, avoid collision, which ended up happening, and he dropped back four spots from there. Now, if he had got the start that he wanted and didn't have contact, I think his race pace would have been a hell of a lot better compared to what we saw. I don't think it affected his times massively, but he did have some downforce issues throughout the rest of the race. He got himself into a good spot, made that cracking move. But then the sh- he had lost 15 seconds to Norris by that stage just because of what happened on the exit of Turn 1. It's motorsport, these things happen. But if we're going to realistically look at what happened to Danny Rick this weekend, that was the start of where it went where it went bad. He made the moves. He got back up into position. But once he'd lost the 15 seconds to his teammate, that always was going to mean that he was going to struggle going on to the hards. I would have expected McLaren to be better than just bring one set of mediums for a race. I just – I don't know. They're clearly the, they're clearly the best tyre is that C4 tyre for them, which was the medium this weekend. So – yeah, look, it's frustrating watch. I'll tell you what, I've had I've had a shocking six months when it comes to sport. Mm. Danny Rick being number one, it's hard to watch. Let's sit down, let's have a quick chat about it. Are you feeling okay oh, about it? All blacks, mate. They're just killing me at the moment. Oh no. All blacks. It's a shame. And uh the bombers too. It's just oh, the bombers it just hurts. Anyway. I'm look, sorry, mate. Moving on. I just felt that incident was troll. Who gives a shit at that point? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you're right. <laughs> oh, seriously, who you're right. Cares? But look, I mean, I get the five second penalty made sense. The tires were dumb; they weren't turning on. That's why he understood. In yep. you know, it yeah, made yeah. and he was trying to defend for stroll and I mean, stroll no one, on the radio, and, and, and no great. one cares that he hit stroll. So anyway, yeah, no, I think that's that's a good good shout. Right, uh, Lando Norris. though. can we talk about him? Did as good as he could. I think. You know, finishing in, in P7 was pretty outstanding for him. Considering the pace of that car, great qualifying. He was out of position, though, because of those Red Bulls, those two Red Bulls. So yep. put that into place again, and, and I think that's where he, he's looking. At the end of the day, very unfortunately, and as you say, it's hard to watch for, as a Danny Rick fan, but he is consistently extracting pace out of that McLaren. McLaren's not a great car, but he's getting pace. He's getting some luck, whatever you want to call it. But the, they're getting there. So hopefully, my point in that is hopefully, we're talking last week, weren't we, about people designing cars and everything else. Yep. There was a really great part of Alex Albon's podcast where he said to Tom Clarkson, what you see in terms of a driver coming first, for example, use Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz as an example. What you see with Charles' performance this year, especially early on, how outstanding he is, isn't necessarily all about Charles. It might be Carlos 
doing things in the background, especially last year in his first year in Ferrari, helping the car set up to get into a to a really good point. And Alex Albon said when he was ditched out of Red Bull at the end of 20 going into 21, he moved immediately into that development role for the car and he spent so much time in that simulator between 20 to 21. And when he got debriefed by uh, the two drivers in Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen, they were both said to him, geez, I tell you what, the car feels really good in the, in the rear. And that's exactly where he was focusing that whole time. So it wasn't necessarily because Max was a faster driver or Perez yeah. was a faster driver. There was this other stuff going on in the background. So from a positive point of view, because it's hard, it's easy, as you would say, it's very easy to be very negative about this stuff. From a positive point of view, let's hope. And I would I would imagine, honestly, take all of the media things every way and, and yes, a lot of attention, a lot of social media posts from McLaren going on about Danny Rick at the moment. But take all of that away and you just have the two drivers and you've got the two mechanics and you've got the people designing the car and everything else. I would suggest there is actually a really good relationship there with Lando and Daniel. Yep. The media love a good spin and everything else. So positively, if we can try and do that, thinking about what that means for the rest of this year, going into next year, because yep. Daniel's not leaving McLaren. He's staying there. That's yep. what he said. McLaren are happy with him. Andreas Seidel, the team principal, is more than happy with him. and cons- consistently says that. Let's hope that they are getting to a good point between both these drivers that makes the car faster. Because at this point, as hard as it is to say, Daniel Rick's not looking like he's winning a World Drivers' Championship anytime soon. Nope. That is hard to say. That's just a reality. So, But if he can get back up on that upward curve, then maybe McLaren is the team to be with and we don't know what's going to happen next year. He could re-sign. And anyway, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's very easy to become cynical about it, Freya, I think. But I think it's important to remain positive, right? Well, I think as long as there's some success within what a I will say. team, then it suggests that there should be something there that the other person can achieve. You know, you kind of go, if if Norris was sitting in 13th every weekend as well, you just go, clearly you have nothing to work with like where is the hope <laughs> um so it does it is you know that kind of indication that there is something there to extract whether or not it's ricardo coming to terms with the car whether or not it's their willingness to do things differently like you said we we just don't know and we don't see the full picture of it in terms of who's responsible for certain development decisions and that type of thing but to have a driver who is performing you know consistently within the top 10 that is hopeful <laughs> um, if, you, you know, if you're if you supporting the team as a whole. I think sometimes we overplay actually how well he is driving this car a little bit and you kind of go seventh this weekend, you go, right, best you can do. In the grand scheme of things, you started in fourth, the faster cars got in front of you and you held on to seventh. Like I think he, I actually think he, if he was that good, then he would have done more with where he was at to start off with, with the opportunity of being in fourth. But he was a minute, full minute behind sixth you know, by the time he got the checkered flag. So there is a very distinct gap there and, you know, they're not best of the rest. Yeah, we've seen that with the Alpines. Um, But if you're looking at the team as a whole, sure, I think it's good to to see that he's he's doing better than, um, you know, than Ricardo is because it suggests there is something there to to be done. For me, I'll look at Danny Rick. I don't think this – I don't think Danny Rick's going to have three terrible years in a car on the trot. I just, that, like, I didn't think he'd have one bad year, but he's had a year and a half now. It's bad. He's halfway through his contract. He's got a year and a half left. He's had his backside handed to him generally for the 18 months that he's been there. But if I'm that organisation, I'm throwing away this year 
because as for I said, they're a, they're still a minute behind the top three, mate. The top, you know, top top cars on the grid. Mm. Everything they do from this midsummer break to race one next year should be focused on next year and develop. And what are we going to do to give our drivers a car that can not only win races but hopefully make that jump to a world championship driving car? And I would throw everything away and start from uh, probably already have. But everything they do from now on this year, yes, they've got to race, yes, they've got to show up and do stuff, but it should be all with the eye on the prize next year. Slate is clean when it comes next year. Everyone starts at zero zero again, and away we go. I just don't see Danny Rick having three bad years in a row. And next year he's driving for his career. Yeah. That's that's, the, that's just the way they've got to look at it. Mm. Unfortunately, they've designed a heap of this year. Mm. Not helped by the Mercedes engine either. So, hey. But Mercedes are making some gains, which is good. Well, and that's what I was about. So let's talk about Mercedes. They are making gains. And uh, earlier in the year, again, when you and I spoke to Richard Saxby, he said, you know, they've got several directions to go in. Well, yeah, it's, everyone has several directions to go in. It doesn't yep. mean you're going to be quick. But they've found what is making them faster. They're certainly not – they're not the third fastest grid on the car camp here. They are absolutely – sorry, they're not the second fastest. They're absolutely the third fastest. But consistency-wise, they will end up second in the championship because yep. – Ferrari keep getting things wrong either in strategy or actual performance in the car, right? So for for Mercedes, they're doing well. It's their second double podium in a week, third for Russell, second for Hamilton. Has to be, I mean, great drives by both of them, really. Great drives by both of them. George did a, was very impressive um, trying to keep in front of Max before uh, – Obviously, anyway, Max was just always going to walk away with it if he uh, didn't have any engine issues, which he ended up not having any issues with. But it's it's hard to say because I was like, oh, this is good. I'm glad that Mercedes are back. And then I'm like, hang on a second. For years I've been saying, no, I don't want this at all. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think, look, Mercedes, again, last week I was like, what an organisation. I said that. We Mm. need to say that again. They're a bit slow in that first stint. On full on fuel full fuel loads, mm. I think they're letting the gap out. But I think the way I mean, if Lewis was on pole last night, it would have been a very different race. I think he would have. I think he would have won. It. He had the pace in that car to win it. I think there's a big deficit between Hamilton and George Russell. We're starting to see it. Um, their consistency. I mean, they're last week they were what forty two points behind Ferrari and the constructors. It's thirty points this week. That. In two races, they could be the second best car, clearly, with Red Bull having those issues. They're going to take penalties in the end of the year. Hamilton will win a race this year, and they'll be firmly in that second position fight. I think they're too far to fight for a world championship. But it's only going to be Max Verstappen in that Red Bull ahead of them because Sergio is now becoming another famous second driver to Max Verstappen. Yes. Showed some glimpses early on for a couple of races. Thought he'd turn it around. Oh, no, Max goes on a tear again. So, yeah, good on Mercedes. Like, I'm, I'm cheering them on because they're the underdog now. Didn't want them to win when they're up top. Yeah. But they how are very the, Australian of you. Hey? But how good was it in the race last night? I was like, that safety car came out with two laps. I was just like, let them race. Let them race. <laughs> Bring out a safety car. Lewis on fresh tyres. You know, I was the irony of it. But I think I think Ted brought that up as well. But, um, yes. Uh, look. The race this weekend and the last few races we've had, there are things that are happening and you think it's going to play out a certain way and then two laps later you go, oh, no, this is all changed again. And I think 
think the racing we've had this year is considerably better than our previous generation. We're getting consistency in good races, and it's actually really starting to excite me. Last night won't go down as an all-time race, but it is in. that That is at times as good as F1 can get. Like playing out on track, six cars, that was awesome. Loved it. Yeah. Second half of the season is going to be cracking. Yes. Uh, as Red, will our podcast. Re, yeah, true. Red Bull Porsche. We might as well start yeah. calling them now. 50% <laughs> of Red Bull Racing, it seems, everything. Not just the power unit, but uh, from from what I understand anyway, this being reported hasn't been, I don't think has been officially announced yet, but that's what is flying around the paddock. Uh, that's only a matter of time. The Volkswagen conversation has been going on for a very long time, hasn't it? Time and time again, Audi will be the next one to make their moves, it seems. But, uh, yeah, Porsche being involved in the sports, fantastic. Obviously, I think they're looking forward to the 2026 regulation changes where maybe some things will happen with the rest of that Volkswagen Auto Group. But certainly for Red Bull, they'll be pretty happy with that considering their power unit supplier will probably turn to be a Porsche logo on their campy. Oh, great move from Porsche. They're just going to get – they've basically got a Honda engine – there was a cracking engine that won them a world a world championship. Then for Honda to leave and it become a Red Bull powertrain, for then Red Bull to go, oh, we've got a cracking product here. We've got a world championship winning motor. Who wants to come in and buy it? Porsche lot. Yes. <laughs> Deal me in. Mark Webber. Um, I think it would be great for F1. Mm. I, th- I think we will have – I think it's probably a bit detrimental to motorsport worldwide now. I'm thinking about World Endurance Championship, things like that. Porsche won't be actively racing. Yes, they do their Carrera Cups and Porsche Series all over the year because it's at, for racing cars, that's an entry-level racing car. And they're great at that. Those categories are good to watch at times and they're never the top. But um, it's clear now that Volkswagen Group will have a lot of, you know, they'll be like Mercedes now and the Daimler Group. All of their IP and designing for the future and cars and technologies will come through F1. It won't come through places like your WEC. So I think there'll be some racing categories that suffer from that because Porsche will dedicate that. Um, But I think it opens up for someone like Toyota to come back in the series. And then that imagine Audi and Toyota coming into the series. Then you've got every man, like every genuine big car manufacturer on the world competing in F1, and I think that's what they're ultimately working for. I mean, Toyota had some crackingly fast cars yeah. back in the – particularly in the mid-2000s, yep. you know. So, oh, look, I think it's a good move for the sport, but I think we'll see some of those other categories drop off a bit, which is a shame. But, um, yeah, I think I think that's that will be what uh, – what's the current guy's name? The little short dude. Franz Tost, is it? For where? Oh, who's the CEO now? Who took over from – At Porsche? No, for F1. Who took over? Oh, Stefano Domenicali. Yeah, I think that'll be – Sorry. (laughs) That's what Stefano will be working to. And he'll be like, great, I've got these guys on board. How do we get Toyota, the next big manufacturer, back in the sport? Yeah, to be fair, I mean, just pick any kind of former Ferrari um, team principal and that's who's in charge. Well, Matteo Bonotto won't escalate. (laughs) He's he's in the bin at the moment. He's going to have to crawl out of that. Freya. He wants a job forever. Freya, your thoughts on Red Bull and then just summing up the race as a whole. Um, I think the real winner for Red Bull this weekend was Hannah Schmitz, who is their um, race strategist. She was just phenomenal. She got everything right this weekend. Um, they were due to go out on hards mm. but switched after listening to both drivers saying it was tricky enough getting temperature into 
the softs and the way to the grid and just completely changed it up. And I think it was a good example of going, the data can be telling you one thing, but you have to look at what's in front of you. And we've got two drivers saying, this is what it feels like we need to change and, and listening to that and responding to it and being adaptable under pressure. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when everything in front of you is going to be telling you to do something else. Um, and you know, that was absolutely the right move for them. So I think, you know, you know, Max is Max. He's an absolute weapon. Started in 11th, went to first and, yeah, sure, he was helped out by Ferrari stuffing their strategy, but still he's such an incredible driver, even with a full 360. <laughs> just showing us his incredible car control as well. Maybe a bit of help, I don't know, but it's just it's, he's kind of amazing to watch. He can, be, he can be irritating at times, but at the same time when you see the way he performs on days like today, you just go, yeah, you're, you're an incredible driver. Um, but then even with Perez, you go, you know, he's also – doing his best to be right where he should be most of the time and I wouldn't mind betting that virtual safety car gave him some pretty nightmarish flashbacks for a moment and paid attention (laughs) as to when he needed to be getting going again. Um, But, you know, he actually looked pretty comfortable in the car today, I think, in comparison to what he has done um, in a little while, which was good to see. Um, and so, no, I think they'll be they'll come back after the break. You know, again, like everybody else, they're going to be just tired. It's been a big first half of the season. Um, so he'll benefit from a break as much as the rest of them will. Um, but I think, you know, this weekend was such a team effort um, when you look at the Red Bulls' overall performance, which is, which is actually pretty incredible. So I think it's, um, you know, Kudos claps to uh, the the whole team over at Red Bull. (laughs) Good. Thank you. Thank you. Well done. A great saying by Campy again. Well, that's our team-by-team analysis. Kudo clappily done. Can I just Uh, say something about Carlos quickly? No. Did we talk about Ferrari? I don't think we did. This is why I hate Ferrari. (laughs) Gets preference on the pit stop. And what do you know? Oh, the right rear doesn't go on properly. And after the pit stops, the positions are changed. I mean, this happens consistently, consistently with Ferrari, and that's why I can't stand them as organisation because Carlos should – there's no way he should come out behind Leclerc. I know Leclerc's a bit quicker, but that undercut, oh, geez, it's just frustrating. It's typical Ferrari BS we yep. have to put up with as fans of this sport. You're right. We didn't actually specifically talk about them in team by team. I don't want to talk about them. Well, we, we sort of covered them <laughs> off early on, but, uh, yeah, absolutely uh, – yeah, it's just a bit ridiculous. Uh, even Leclerc was salty as is like his tyres don't work. Yeah, they really don't, and there's no surprise there. So whatsoever. he should be. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. I completely so he, agree. So he should be. And do you know what's funny is that with like even Toto afterwards, he talks about the potential of Charles in a Ferrari in the same category as Max in a Red Bull. He can see that if you go, if you got this right for him, he would be a such a threat to whether it's Max in a Mercedes. Sorry. Hamilton in a Mercedes or Max in a Red Bull, you in a Ferrari, Charles Leclerc, are phenomenal, but your team are letting you down. Um, and he didn't obviously say it in such words today, but he kind of going, you know, the potential is there, but you're probably not going to win a world championship with Ferrari if they keep behaving with the way they do. Yeah, it was exceptionally disappointing to see. Just Ferrari being Ferrari, I think, is the summary of that team for this weekend. And that's what that, that is why they will not win a world championship anytime soon because Michael Schumacher was the reason that they won a world championship because he gripped that team up 
he got good organization. He got good communication going all the way up and down the grid. And who was one of his team principals at the time? Um, Braun. Ross Braun, yeah. Ross sorry. Braun. What, oh, what totally. else did he do? Uh, One two thousand and nine under his own yeah. name. I think my point is yeah. Ferrari really. There is a systemic issue in that team. Happened with Seb. Happened yeah. with Felipe Massa. Happened with Fernando Alonso. Happened with Rubens Barrichello. It's happening now with Charles Leclerc. To be fair, no. To be fair, how dare you? Ferrari haven't done this for the last eighteen months. They haven't come out and been Ferrari, but we've seen it in the last. Well, all year. I mean, reliability. I so, actually, in the last eighteen months, six Sorry. of those months of Ferrari people. <laughs> the last, the last four races, it's become apparent that Ferrari is starting to, you know, panic at all the wrong times during a race. Yes, which they haven't done seemingly. I can understand when things happen in the car, mechanical failures. It's out of their control sometimes, but they're just starting to show all the bad habits of the Ferrari of old and yesteryear. Let me just finalize our team-by-team analysis with a quote from Jeremy Clarkson on Twitter. As abuse is no longer allowed when we speak about Formula One, I'm forced to say Ferrari's strategists are brilliant. Uh, That's it. Let's talk now about our fantasy team league name competition. Uh, We've got some great ones here. Remember, at the end of the season, we're going to choose our favorite name and they will get a merch pack or you will get a merch pack. You can join at the link in the description below. Mind-bogging stupid. (laughs) As I said a couple of times, not boggingly, bogging. Mind-bogging stupid. Byron H. Ferrari pit wall in the bin for good, Trent L. Hungary for a McLaren. There's there's lots. There's a big McLaren, so I assume it's Port Arrestas' version of McLaren McLaren. to get out of the bin. David W. My eight-year-old would do a better job at Ferrari strategy, Gemma C. Posting my notice on Insta from now on, Samuel R. That's top tip for everyone, I think. Do a black and white. I like this wall behind me um, with the stool that Camby and I are sitting on in black and white and then uh, do a very impassionate, good read of a teleprompter. Lawrence Stroll could learn something from Seb, honestly. Hungary, Hungary Hippo, Kelly W. Hungary like the Toto Wolf for Merck's first win, Josh L. Very good. Are we back in 2021, Daniel B? Avidezen und Willgluck, Sebastian, Daniel T. Everyone's in the bin, John B. Aldi Championship contenders, Matt J. Hang up my helmet and S. Vettel down, Nicholas H. Very good. Yeah, good. Uh, Danny Rick really is washed, Dylan C. Well, I mean, McLaren's on, not mate. helping. Mattia in the Bonotto, <laughs> Haley H. I actually really like that. It's very, very, very good. good. Very good. And Hungary for a DR podium. Uh, love it. So many great names in there. You can go and look at yourself in the uh, F1 Fantasy app. Excellent. The top three in the race. This is a little thing that I'm going to do now. First, well done, Baku. Catherine L., uh, 246 points. Well done to you. Second, isn't she pretty, Jess G? 193 points. And third, Gotifi is Hungary. Jake B and 184 points. And in good news, in the five of us, what? I'm winning. Well, in this race, at I least. still don't have you got the only one who does it. Tommy T and I for the Hungary Grand Prix were tied in first. Uh, I put myself above him though because that's my prerogative. Manus and Campy are were tied third in 109th, and Freya, you were fifth in 133rd. Lift. Yeah, but my name's better than yours over there. That's true, but you don't get to win any prizes. I still, just, Freya, I still don't have a team. Give me so. Freya, you've got a team. Freya, please feel free to to read out your team name and give a bit of an explanation as to why it's that. 
Oh, my team name, team name, I believe, was something along the lines of I'm the walrus cuckoo kachoo, which is because there is a giant walrus yes. sinking boats and breaking hearts in Norway this summer. Um, go and Google it. It's the funniest thing you've ever seen. Cool And fire. I'm sure she's an absolute legend like oh. me. Yeah. Well, I... Uh, <laughs> Just gonna leave that you well alone. Take on that role in the podcast too. <laughs> Stop breaking boats on the podcast, Fryer. Uh, well, that's it for this race review. Thank you so much for listening and for watching, Freya, Massive thank you to you. We're looking forward yes. to your free practice Fridays coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Campy, we're looking forward to. Well, we're mm, looking for. We're looking. Into, I don't know what the next word is to seeing what's in your corner. Send help in advance to that. Um, and thank you to you for listening. As I said, uh, we're going to be away for the next couple of weeks, but. Uh, you can keep in touch on Discord. Yep. We'll be back on the 23rd of August for our Belgian GP preview in a nice shiny studio. Tommy T, Campy, and myself doing that. Ooh. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good rest of the year for Lakeside Drive. Um, strap in because there's a hell of a lot of content. Do you want more content? Well, that's what you get. That's that's it for now, though. Yep. We'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Should I get a bigger stool? Oh, is that why you're on a little stool? I'll get a bigger stool. <laughs> what? That's a cute stool. No, I'm not sure. That's so cute. Where did you get that from? <laughs> All right, I'll go on the short stool. Come here. Or just bring me. Yeah. You have just the same height stool. Hey, got to make an effort. Little things are all. You would know all about that. You also know that. This is a short story. Make us a neon sign. No, I'll get one, mate. Well, you know what I mean. You're not specifically making. When them. you are all satisfied with your stool sizes, we can get on with. It. Oh, yeah, Fran wants to go. I want to go. Out of context. <laughs>